We apologize for this brief interruption in the show. As many of you likely know, the Higher Standard Podcast is officially sponsored by Transcend Company. Transcend has been my longtime provider for both testosterone and peptide therapies, but they offer so much more. Whether you're interested in health, wellness, or longevity, it all begins with you getting your blood work done. A lab draw will help you get the numbers and establish your baseline. You can go to transcendcompany.com slash THSP. That's transcendcompany.com slash THSP. Or you can click the link in the show notes on any streaming platform and on YouTube. Fill out your information and one of the representatives will contact you to get your journey started today. Now back to the show. Give me some energy. I'm ready, guys. Let's go. He's got the notes and timestamp. Google Doc open, ready to go. He does this every episode, you just, asshole. No, but it hasn't been flashing at us like that. He does it literally every episode. Every episode. Wait, what do you mean flashing? Because you like, had the mouse over the top was, tab. It was, it was oh. up, up on the screen. And, and Saeed is just figuring out the breadth of how valuable you are. Really. I honestly... He does, not only does he do the timestamps in the show like notes, but he has them in a way structured that it, it significantly helps my editing time. I know, and he's he also holds his breath for the entire episode for you. <laughs> well, if he didn't fucking breathe like he was Dark Vader all the fucking time back there, Nacho Boy would be fine. This guy is crazy, man. I didn't know how much editing went into it, Chris. No, look, I, the last couple yeah, episodes... I feel like you still been, don't know. You got to watch him do it. You got to yeah. watch him do it. <laughs> Jesus. You got to sit down next to me and watch, bitch. <laughs> with, with my heavy breathing? Ha- having had rebuilt that entire thing because of the hard drive failure... I can tell you, I can teach you better now than ever before. It was not fun. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Well, speaking of oh, my gosh, welcome back to the number one financial literacy podcast in the world. I am excited to introduce my partner in time, the one and only Saeed Omar. Oh, thank you, man. I'm excited to introduce my partner in crime, Chris Nahibi. Welcome back to the show, everybody. And the man behind the ones and twos, the man I belly button French kissed a little earlier this episode. Behind behind the uh, the limelight of the cameras, we rubbed our bellies together. It's true. I we, saw we it. Pushed the, yeah. We pushed the belly buttons together. I witnessed it. Yeah. It was a very romantic moment as we hugged, which the, the you don't do enough of. The listeners don't understand that the bromance is really between you two. It's not between us. It's there. Oh, I would seduce him in a heartbeat. Speaking of him, DJ Arun, everybody. Hello, everyone. What's up, man? Dude, I didn't get the MO. About uh, matching outfits. No hats either. Like, at least Whoa. one of you guys always wear a hat, too. I didn't catch this. I, I got to be honest. I didn't even remember we were recording today. Yeah. When you and Saeed told me, I was like, fuck. I literally messaged him an hour before we were supposed to be here. It was like 40 minutes. Yeah. And I, I, I just, like, made a plan with Joanna to, like, watch, like, a show and relax. I know. And I was editing. I'm like, baby, I'll be done in a little bit. And then I was like, uh, yeah, honey, you know that part where I said I love you earlier? Yeah. We're going to test that. Yeah, yeah. We're going to test how much you truly support the show. Yeah. Funny, same thing happened with me and Marcel, too. Really? I was like, hey, Marcel, I have to go. She's like, where are you going? I was like, the podcast? She's like, it's Wednesday. You go on Thursdays. I was like, wait, did I not tell you? And she's like, just go. Just hey, go. You, want, you, want me to, you want me to throw some salt on this? Yeah. Are you ready, Arun? Well, yeah. It's for you and me, baby. Side, why are we doing this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're doing this to accommodate me. Are we doing it to accommodate you? Yeah, to accommodate me. You specifically? I'm not going down this path again. Hey, Chris. Me specifically. (laughs) All right. On the docket for today, we got an interesting show because a lot of interesting shit's been happening in the economy. But before we even touch any of that, some of these reviews have been just just special. Honestly, we've been so excited. Each one of them matter to all of us. The the last from, from episode 190, which you'll hear shortly if you haven't heard already, 
Uh, wow, those two were spectacular. I know, and then, we were, I know we were sitting, but it was really a standing ovation. It was a standing ovation. And yeah. then this particular review, also just as sexy right. and thoughtful. It was great. So I can't and, and we're getting reviews on Spotify, too. Don't forget about that. I yeah. Know oh, we're up to 162 on now yeah. on Spotify. Look at that. Yeah. The listeners on Spotify, thank you guys so do they, much. Do they send the Grammys when we get 200? <laughs> yeah. Is, is, is that, that how works? Is that when we get invited to the award shows? Yeah, I don't know. Like I, P. Diddy's dressing up as like Marvel now. I, should I call him? <laughs> is he? Yo, is dude, I didn't P. see this. So allegedly, I don't, Arun, this is pop culture moment. This is your this is your value add. Oh, I'm going to ask you a question. You ready? Get, prop up. You ready? Do it. No, no, I don't want you Googling anything. This, this is you. <laughs> He's getting ready to search. So last year, he dressed up as Heath Ledger's Joker, and it was fucking oh, perfect. I saw that. It was great. Right? Right. And allegedly, he got a cease and desist letter from DC. No kidding. Or from, I think it was the, Warner the Brothers? studio. Yeah, Warner Brothers. Um, and I was like, okay, well, that's, that's weird. But I get it, because he looked so spot on. It was all over social media. I thought, mm, maybe. But then he dressed up like the Dark Knight Batman this year with the full Batmobile and like the gun, the suit. No way. I mean, he didn't put any face makeup on, so it was really just him in the suit. But I mean, it was all movie quality shit. Oh. So was that all like just a hype up before this or did he really get the C&D? Arun? No idea. Oh, pop culture, baby. That's right up your alley too, man. I know. That's the type of useless shit that you would know. No, he's really, he's really into the comics. I used to. I love comics. Comics is shit. You guys were both, both. You guys read the comics growing up. Oh, no. uh, I oh. I grew uh, when up I went when to a cousins' houses. They had it. I never cared for buying them. Oh, so kind of what I did with Playboys. Yeah, yeah, got it. Uh, <laughs> for the articles. Oh, what? There were pictures in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, true story. When I was a kid, one of my neighbors, um, who's actually a celebrity now, which is also weird, uh, his parents had gotten divorced, and he is. Yeah, that, that just goes to all the God, nostalgia of the story. <laughs> just goes away. Just crushed it. Um, well, pl- well timed. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So when I was a kid, uh, his mom had gotten remarried, and his dad was a badass. Okay. Right? Just total Guns N' Roses era, like all about oh, that. Oh, right? I see. Yeah. I got you. Okay. He had a stack next to his bed of Playboys that were like probably four feet high. Just no fucks. Just no fucks. Right just there. sitting there. And I'm not going to lie. I mean, I know my mom listens to the show from time to time. Sorry, mom. Uh, we would we would look at those bad boys from time to time. Wow! Yeah, it shaped every bit of the pervert that I am today. <laughs> that that's what it was. Explains a lot, right? Yeah, that's what. It was. Now you know. <laughs> now you know. <laughs> Makes sense. It's all coming together now. Yeah, and somehow we got to go back into finance from that. I'm yeah. not really sure of the transition. <laughs> How are we gonna do this? Yeah. <laughs> Though they had articles, we're about to get into some articles. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, it's been an interesting week uh, of data and just economic happenings, if you will. The Federal Reserve has left rates unchanged. And uh, while we did call that and it was not a huge shock, I will say that um, it was probably one of the weirdest meetings I, I've listened to in a while. I agree. You actually listen, tune into this one, huh? I got a couple minutes of it in between some meetings in the office, but... The demeanor was was notably different. Jerome Powell looked like somebody had said something to him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he didn't have an iPad this time. Yeah, no iPad. What was up with that? Well, so you just brought it out for one and you didn't need it for this one? I didn't understand. Like so, so did he not print physical notes or like it was? Yeah, was he yeah. watching himself? Ooh, maybe there's arrogance. Maybe there was something going on with the teleprompter last time, because he was reading off a teleprompter this time. I could tell. But he, has, he didn't have glasses on both times, did he? No, he did. He had glasses on today. Huh. I wonder what that. Oh, anyway, whatever. What should I, I'm blind. I don't. What do I know? Yeah. 
We'll also talk about J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon suspects the Fed may not be done raising rates amid, quote, stickier inflation, something we have talked about a lot. And it comes down to, spoiler alert, kid, rent and rent equivalent. Yes, yes, it does. And we're actually going to get into why he thinks that and how I know up until now there's been a steady pattern and we may have broken off from that steady pattern. But we're now getting to the point where the Fed can truly be data dependent, even though for whatever reason, this time he chose not to cite the data dependency. Yeah, he was very, very, very different. Yeah. I feel like somebody started threatening him. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe, just maybe, hypothetical here, kids. Okay, let's okay. just put on our tinfoil hats and... Never take it off. Yeah, we should actually bring foil in to do that during the show. Yeah, every time we should just, just put it up. Yeah, front and then you know put it on the head. Dude, that's a great idea. We should do that. I love that. <laughs> or, just, or just have them permanently behind us on the shelf because yeah. we use them a lot. <laughs> that's true. Uh, mine's gonna be shaped like a spire. <laughs> <laughs> in any event, um, it, I'm looking at all the things that's happening with the Fed, and I'm looking at stuff. In the economy, we, we've been right about a lot of some of the things we've said. Yeah. But we've been definitely uh, a different voice than most people are hearing. Mm -hmm. I don't know that Jamie Dimon really knows any better than anybody else, but it seems as Jerome Powell may be second-guessing himself a little bit. You think so? I just, I got a vibe today where, where there was, it seemed to me like more like frustration and the FOMC... Going, oh, shit. Okay. And I got a surprise article I'm going to throw in here from Wells Fargo's newest prediction about uh, home prices and what this might mean for the home housing market. Okay, great. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, for those of you listening to the show, you know the National Association of Realtors. Uh, I'm going to talk a lot of shit on their massive antitrust lawsuit. $1.7 billion judgment against them. Goddamn. But it can go up it can. to $5 billion. I mean, there's plenty of lawsuits still to come. And you should have known this shit was coming when all the major brokerages were paying tens of millions of dollars, 50 million, 80 million to get the hell away from this lawsuit before this judgment came down. Mm -hmm. mm. I don't want to be the guy I said I told you so. You have to be that guy, though. But I'm kind of that guy. You're kind of that guy, exactly. You know, a uh, couple episodes you can check out where I talked a lot of shit and called it. Because if we don't say, if we don't say it, then people aren't going to remember. They're not going to go back. I'm not being authentic then. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you got to be authentic. I'm staying real. Yeah, stay on brand. True to my nature, because I hate you. <laughs> Private sector payrolls rose 113,000 jobs in October, less than expected, according to ADP. But we also know that ADP is dog shit data. Mm -hmm. Home prices hit another record high in August, but Wells Fargo is going to fuck that party up. So bear with us on that one there. Adjustable rate mortgage demand jumps nearly 10% as buyers struggle to afford a housing market. And of course, now, three episodes in a row, we're allegedly <laughs> going to talk to you about M&A to explode in 2024. This is going to stay here for the rest of the year. Just leave it there. Yeah. Until we get there. But if you're a listener on Apple or Spotify, uh, go ahead and leave us an honest five-star review. It really means a lot to the show. We'll read it at the end of the episode like we always do. It means a lot to us. Or if you watch us over on YouTube, make sure you hit that like button, ring that notification bell, and turn on those uh, notifications. Yeah. I am, uh, I am going deep down the dark rabbit hole of understanding YouTube analytics and SEO. And it was very confusing today when I started going down the path. Really? It is a lot more complex than I thought it was going to be. And I can tell you right now, I am so goddamn tired of people hitting me up and sending me emails to the email that's on the YouTube page, which is basically media at 
higherstandardpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. I get those emails and I check them from time to time, and it's always assholes telling me how inefficient our SEO is. Oh, and uh, oh, yeah. they're scoping it on. They're like, these guys need help. Yeah, they're like, you could do so much better. I mean, usually somebody from India, but yeah, right. Yeah. So let's get into this Fed decision today. Um, today was the second day of the meetings, meaning they concluded it. Jerome Powell came out of the post game press conference and decided to leave rates unchanged. So we're still at that five point five percent Fed funds rate, right? Um, just a little recap. They had raised. They've raised it eleven times to get to that point. Uh, it's the highest the rate has been in over over 21, 22 years. Um, and the Fed is really starting to implement this wait-and-see approach and see where is it going to go from here because they may they may be at their final destination rate, but he's not going to come out and declare it yet, right? So they still want to see. They still have, I believe, two CPI reports before their last meeting of the year. Mm-hmm. They have two jobs reports. They still have one PCE uh, that's the preferred inflation gauge uh, measurement that they want to they'll want to take a look at. There's a report coming out on, on Friday this week too, right? That's a jobs report. Jobs report, okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's always, right. ADP came out. That's right. They come out. Always, again. it's always the first Friday of the month. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Right there. So, but something that he he got asked a lot of questions and really what he wanted to drive home is that we're gonna stick at this rate higher for longer. But more 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 important than that. Stuttered a little bit there. Wow, well, caffeine. More important than all that was his demeanor, his uh, his hawkish tone. It sounded a lot more soft, mm-hmm. a lot more loving, a lot more concerned. He did, yeah. I mean, he even cited the eighty um, in the GDP, the GDP print. They talked about the expansion of the economic activity. Hey, man, I'm not gonna be this guy again. Uh huh. But I got to do it. I told you so. I got to stay authentic. Yeah, <laughs> say it. We kind of said. It was you, it was a bullshit know, print, right? It was a bullshit print, and it, we also said that they tend to spike after you know in situations like this before they head down to recessionary trends. And guess what? GDP was revised down to baby. What was it revised down to? Revised from two point three to one point two percent for fourth quarter GDP. Mm-hmm. The GDP expectation is now roughly a fourth of what our last print is allegedly on the forward future forecast for. Q4 coming up. Right. And if, if that's a metric that you do want to track, because remember, the whatever GDP comes in at, uh, if you have two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, then you'll know that a, sh- a recession should be declared, even though they didn't declare it the last time it happened. Uh, you can go on the Atlanta uh, Fed GDP now, and it, it, it updates it, I believe, weekly. Right? So he came out and said, if you're one of those people that wants to hang on every word that he says, because they're very, they keep the same terminology every single time, and you're gonna see it in, in the Fed minutes that comes out. But in this particular meeting, okay, here's my tenfold hat comment from earlier that I backed off of because I was gonna wait to hear. He's been very clearly delineated and consistent with his demeanor, his messaging, even the usage of words, right? Mm-hmm. And he's tried to keep it this consistent hawkish tone. For him to come out with a non-hawkish tone like this, audibly very different, mm-hmm. it has to be by it has to be intentional. It has to be they they had to have a conference where they got together, and Neil Kashkar was like, "Yo, JP, man, come on, dog, you got to back off and set the expectation right." And he's like, "Nah, man, I'm gonna treat these bitches like they need to know what's up, you know." And then he was like, "Hey, man, yeah, stop, okay, right. we need to stop." And then they made the conscious decision. To go out there and address the public that way. Right. And a lot, what a lot of people took from this meeting was that he's starting to lay the groundwork mm-hmm. of 
potentially no more rate hikes because you just it's not just going to come out of the blue nowhere. Remember, this is something that the FOMC has been very clear about. Jerome Powell has been very clear about. They don't want to shock the markets. I right? think they're very concerned about uh, Volcker era inflationary trending and a double dip recession, recessionary economy type set yeah. of circumstances. Especially keep, keep in mind the GDP print leading up to this was high. If GDP print were to escalate again, and we know the government's got a hundred and sixty something billion dollar plan in front of it for aid to Israel and the Ukraine and other places, right? Government spending helps prop up GDP. We haven't seen rent and rent equivalent come down, which is a significant 33, 34% of inflation. Mm -hmm. And the Fed's going, okay, the numbers that need to really move to prevent this sticky nature from happening right. aren't moving. And the government's talking about adding all this extra government spending, which could, in fact, take that four, whatever it was, 4.8%, 4.9%, what was it? What, for the 10-year? The, no, the inflation that we just had. 4.9%. 4.9% inflation number that we just had. For no, that was for GDP. For GDP, yeah. It could take that GDP number and pop it up. Yes. Because of the government spending. So, mm -hmm. But don't just take our word for it, though. The Fed Future, so the Chicago Mercantile Exchange that I like to routinely cite, I haven't checked Bloomberg, but I'm, they're, they're pretty consistent with one another. Everyone started to feel this way. Remember, two weeks ago or so, the potential of a, a rate hike in December, basically their last meeting of the year, was somewhere around, I think, 35%, a chance of them still increasing. As of today, after this meeting... 80% chance of no rate hike in December. So that's just the market telling you that they don't, based on what Jerome Powell came out and said and how he said what he said, everyone thinks that he's starting to lay the groundwork of no more rate hikes, right? But remember, there was this dot plot at the, uh, I think, two meetings ago. Two meetings right? ago, before before the actual Fed announced that there was a dot plot that came out. Yes, and this is the, this yeah. is the question, some of the questioning that he got like during the meeting, right? was, well, on your guys' dot plots, I believe 12 of the members said that there was room for one more rate hike by the end of the year, and he wanted to make sure everybody understood. Listen, the dot plot is just a snapshot in time of where we think it's going to go, right? Yeah, but that's such bullshit, man. It bothers me so much. I don't like that. Really? Because, yeah, because some of those fucking dot plots were ridiculous. Remember we looked at it on the show? Mm -hmm. And some asshole was up in, like, 20% territory. Like, we just keep going, baby. <laughs> 6%, yeah. Ride that shit home. Six, no, it was a rate increase in 2024. You're like, wait, what? We're yeah. supposed to be cutting by then. I'm like, what, what is this guy? No, stop. Yeah. But I don't see, I don't like that. See, in my mind, they use the dot plop, uh, plop. Yeah. <laughs> they use the dot plot as a way to keep the hawkish rhetoric going. Yes. And scare people as opposed to what they really think. Yeah. And if that's what they're actually doing, and I really do think that's what they're doing, mm -hmm. that's manipulative. That's not right. Right. And remember, the Fed is trying to tread carefully because they want to ultimately end up at a rate that they can hold for a long time and not end up at a rate that's going to ultimately break some financial system. So they want a cuddle rate, not a fuck rate. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. What's the upside and the downside of a hike rate? Of hiking the rate? Yeah. Okay. So if, if, he, if he hikes it when we don't need it, right? First of all, we've been on record saying that 1,100 banks ov overnight would go cash flow negative. Right. Well, so the stress in the system up until this point has brought banks to the brink of cash flow negative income. Right. Or a compressed net interest margin, if you want industry terms. They're making less and less money. And they've done all the things they can to try to optimize their expenses, including reductions in force, cutting, you know, uh, extra spending on technology and big program rollouts, stuff like that. Maybe even cutting back on office space. Right. But. The problem is, is that they're at a point now where they're on the verge because the 10 year is also adding pressure to their profitability by its increase up over time. Right. So these two things in conjunction with one another are really putting a tremendous amount of pressure. And if the Fed increases rates again, the early studies that we did looking at some of the bank reporting that's public 
was that about 1,100 banks or about 25% of the banks in the country would go cash flow negative unless they find ways to either A, increase their revenue or B, cut additional expenses. Right. So, so and also to answer your question, Odun, some, something that they have to consider, right? As of right now, credit card rates are at 21%. They understand they're looking at the data that the savings rate has been going down for 24 straight months, right? Credit card debt is also at an all-time high. All-time high. All-time high. People are are getting squeezed and pinched. We cited an article not too long ago that 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of the 40% that have the ability to still save every month and have a savings account, right, with some money in it, an emergency fund, I think only 20% of them have anything above or actually have 20% of them have a savings of $5,000 or less. And you're like, okay, how, how much of an emergency fund really is that, right? So it's not going to carry them through this potential hard landing. And if they go up any further and the consumer gets squeezed too much, then, I mean, that's when shit's going to hit the fan, man. Can I be honest with you and the listeners and ruin maybe you too if you even care about my opinion anymore? Okay. Oh, he, did, he didn't like that you didn't address him. Who? When he asked the question, he said, Saeed, you should have said Saeed and Chris. No, no, I'm okay with him addressing questions like that to you. Oh, okay. The non-technical ones. Because oh. <laughs> you're... <laughs> well done, well done. Um, we... I, I've got... In the business, there's, it's, time, it's hard for me in times not to get negative with the things that I'm seeing on the front lines. Keep in mind that the nature of my job, I'm seeing people's financials from all sorts of different business backgrounds. I'm seeing their personal financials, I'm seeing their business financials. I'm immersed in the economic data. And the last the last couple of weeks have been really, really difficult because I'm looking at the data, I'm looking where we're going, I'm looking at the things that are happening. And I am now at a point where I am legitimately afraid. Mm. And I know I'm usually sarcastic and jovial and all happy and shit in the show. And it's happy, happy, joy, joy and gumdrops and lollipops. And let's make a joke and use an expletive. But I'm being dead, dead serious here. Like I, I am legitimately afraid. And a lot of the people who have been the, the probably the biggest people out there pumping up the bullshit with the, oh, real estate economy is going to be fine. Or, oh, wholesalers are never going to go away. And, oh, you know, everything's going to be great. I'm seeing cracks. And the cracks are getting so undeniable now that it is really beginning to freak me out. And yeah, I still see economists and people saying really dumb things that totally ignore all those cracks, like supply and demand, so home values won't go down. But I am legitimately afraid. Sitting in my seat, I I don't know what comes next, but I know it's going to be painful. And someone asked me a great question today. It was a follower of the show who DM'd me on, on Instagram, and I, and I was going back and forth with him a little bit. And he said, hey, I know that all recessions are unique. I said, yeah. Said, uh, if you had to compare this recession to any recession, what time in that recession do you think we're in? And I was like, that's an interesting question. And I said, I would compare it to 2006 leading into the Great Recession. And he he responded back like, uh oh. And I'm like, yeah. Like all the things you're seeing now, this ain't the painful part yet. No, no, right. It's not the painful part. And the, what we started talking about early on the show, and something that actually has surprised me the most that unemployment has somehow managed to still stay relatively low, right? Um, and I know that a lot of people have had their hours cut and haven't been laid off yet completely, right? Mm-hmm. But what I'm still really afraid of is unemployment 
is going to rise. And when we when you hear a number like 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Just to chime in real quick, that has gone up to 65% according to new Fact check him, boy. Yeah. Get after him, boy. There you go. 65%, Saeed. 65%. Of, this, is, this is according to Barry. Rune, tell him. I went up 5% since August. Yeah. Since August. So yeah. you just got this, fact checked by the best. Well, I just wanted to check it. I was like, damn, yeah. 60%. No, that's so, your job. Anytime you want to fact check Saeed, you do that. Yeah. Um, so some something like that, right? You 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 think to yourself, where where people what's gonna happen if unemployment does in fact spike up? And we know that. Companies like the Magnificent Seven have really been propping up the stock market, right? Mm -hmm. NVIDIA has been propping up the stock market, right? In NVIDIA. NVIDIA, right? Oh, yeah. How have you pronounced it? I got it? you. Don't worry about it. Okay. He's here to fact check. Can you I'm say Can you say statistically? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. Statistically. So. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. So they've been really propping up the the economy, or in this, I mean the stock market, I should say. And what I heard uh, somebody, a talking head talk today on CNBC, they were saying, look, the lag effects this time are taking a lot longer. I think we've now reached over a year since the last 75 basis point increase. Oh, my right? God. Really? Yeah. Okay. It's felt like an eternity. So typically speaking, the lag effects should have started to really showcase themselves. And what this what this person said, this, this person worked over at uh, JP Morgan. He said, look, I'm not worried about the large cap companies. I'm worried about mid cap. Oh, yeah. Small cap. 100%. The private sector, because this is the stat that he threw out. He said the S&P 500 companies, they employ 12 to 13 million people. Yeah. That's it. When you combine the mid cap, small cap, uh, the private sector, we're talking about 60 to 70 million people. Yeah. All right. So, and those are the ones you got you to be worried about when there's a credit tightening cycle and their lines of credits aren't renewed. And they're experiencing less profitability because people are spending less. Mm -hmm. That's when we're really all going to start to feel the pain and actually see the plane play out in the stock market even, yeah. right? Because a lot of times like this, what the confusing part for a lot of people that, you know, aren't in this space like we are, they'll see the stock market still doing well. They're like, well, I don't really get it. The stock market is doing fine. So, And to that, I was, people keep saying, like, Chris, you think there's more room to go down in the market? We've already had a dip. Yes, at least 20%. At least 20% more that that can go down in the next year and a half. Right. Yeah. I, I would not surprise me in the slightest. Yeah. Uh, and I, just to break that down a little bit further, I um, I did some digging on that. So just so you know the difference between a small cap, mid cap, and large cap, right? Small cap company is a company that's valued at $250 million to $2 billion. A mid cap is any company from $2 billion to $10 billion. And a large cap company is any company valued more than $10 billion. Yeah, and I had some examples too. So small cap companies, someone like Foot Locker. Foot Locker is only valued at $1.96 billion. It wasn't always a small cap, by the way. Right. They've lost a tremendous amount of market share. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Valuation, by the way, you can find their market cap on anybody's stock ticker. If you look them up, whether that's Yahoo Finance or anybody else, you just type in the ticker symbol, mm -hmm. uh, and it'll come up. And one of the things you always see on everybody's chart is their market cap, their market capitalization. That's what Saeed is referring to. Yeah, it's the outstanding shares of the company multiplied um, by the sh share price, right? And so a mid-cap company example, CarMax. I don't get them, man. $9.8 I don't get the. I mean, they're just a used car dealership, but the whole, like, you can trade in the car. They always screw you on price. Like, I don't. But they give, laziness? I, I, I think from what I hear, they give the best price. 
for used car prices. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've yeah. sold a car to him before. And I'll, then, I'll admit that. Yeah. And then look at this jump. Large cap Apple, two point seven trillion. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Not even the same ballpark. Bro. Come on, Doc. It's like get out of here. Yeah. What are you doing? Fuck around with your trillions. Yeah. So, yeah. anyways, I thought I thought that would be pretty interesting. J.P. Morgan Chase, large cap. <laughs> large cap. That's no cap. No cap. I saw what you <laughs> I, did there. I got there first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that should be merch. High key, no cap. Yeah, I gotta figure. I haven't gotten back to our merch guy yet. I gotta finalize some of the designs. I'm actually considering posting them on social media and getting some feedback from listeners. Facts, no cap has to be up there too. All facts, no cap. All facts, no cap. Well, if you're gonna quote, you know, younger generation lingo, you should at least quote it accurately. But then when we, we don't do this, you you comment every single post with facts, no cap. No, no, in, in emojis. Yes. You gotta understand that there's a difference between emoji speak and actually saying the emojis. Come on, man. Yeah. I don't got time for all this. Yes, you do. You have if, a you, lot of- if you see an eggplant, do you say, oh, they're referring egg- to eggplants? Yeah, why? Okay, see, that, there, there, there's your problem. Now, problem. now you know you're disconnected. Oh, uh, okay. Exactly. Rune and I actually know that means pasta. Pasta, <laughs> yeah. Got it. <laughs> Ratatouille. Ratatouille, baby. Here you go. One of the best. One of the best. They have a ride at Disneyland? Uh, uh, Ratatouille has a ride in Disney World at Epcot. Okay. Yeah. It's a 3D experience where you get... You're wearing 3D glasses, but there's also, like, water that sprays on you and smells that come out, too. So uh-huh. it's, like, 4D, I guess. Has Carter done every single ride at Disneyland now at this point? Uh, oh. In Disneyland in Orange County? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, no, no, not every ride. There's some rides that he can't go on still. So. Oh, I see. Okay. But he likes, like, all the roller coasters and the fast stuff. And oh, all that stuff. okay. So he goes on, like, all the kid rides. His favorite is Pirates of the Caribbean, though, man. Oh, nice. Yeah. How cool. Love it. He hasn't seen the movies yet, though. He doesn't like them. He, oh, you've already introduced it to him? Yeah, he he uh he's not, yeah no, not his thing. Was it scary or? Yeah, I mean I'd be no, he's, he's got he, no real interest. How old is he? Four, four and a half, four and a half. Interest Pirates of the Caribbean at four, man. Wow, good for you. I figured, dude, it's Johnny Depp is Disney. <laughs> I figured. You know, I mean, other than the alcoholism, there isn't a whole lot there to be afraid of. Okay, a monster. It's not like Marvel where people are getting like their heads blown off. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So, what monsters like the kids like these the days? The monsters are different one, to kids, bro. One? Yeah. Keep in mind, he watches like Spidey and Friends. That's different, man. And they really tone that shit down. Come on. I, no, I get that, but the, the concept of good guy, bad guy, it's all there. <laughs> no, that's another level, man. What are you talking no, about? No, man, I try to use real world examples. You know, Arun and I, good guy, Saeed, bad guy. Oh, obviously. So he knows. Yeah, he knows. Yeah. Speaking of good guys, you want to talk about JP Morgan Chase a little bit, or you want to keep yeah, let's, let's let's talk about this all. This article actually didn't make it in the show, but he also stole some uh, sold some stock recently. You saw that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a stock sale plan. And he, they said nobody. He hasn't done that in like twenty years. It's like one hundred and forty-one million dollars. Yeah, like ah, oh, yeah. A family needs some money. Yo, first of all, I t- you're getting paid so fucking much yeah. in salary, not including your additional stock compensation as part of your overall aggregate comp plan, right? That you haven't sold stock in over twenty years. That's wild, man. And then, then because inflation is so impactful, you know, Jamie Morgan, CEO, is feeling it. Yeah, 100%. Jamie Dimon's like, yo, my family needs some money. Yeah. I'm going to sell down $141 million yeah. in explain, a stock sell plan. Explain to people, because uh, a lot of times stuff like that will make the news, and it's really no news at all, right? I don't know if yeah. this one is, but um, a lot of times it has to do with, like, them having to pay taxes. And whatnot, Usually it's right? tax or legacy estate planning or something like that. But essentially— Anytime a very high-profile executive, and the way it works is on public filings, it's your top five executives, which usually include your president, CEO, CFO, uh, and then the next two highest-paid individuals. Um, if now if they're not 
usually it's your, it's your top five earners. They're publicly reported. So any of their stock transactions get reported to the SEC and they're out there for everyone to see. So what people like Jamie Dimon do is they come up with a stock sell plan. They announce it around the time they have earnings. They have an earnings call and they're talking to the secondary market and the shareholders. And they tell everybody in advance, this is going to happen. I'm going to do this because they're worried that when a CEO sells down their position or one of these top five people there inside the company sells down their position, that it means something. They know something inside the company. Insider trading could be a concern, stuff like that. And there's windows of time when they can and can't do that. But number two, it shakes the confidence of people who would otherwise be would-be buyers of their stock. Well, if the CEO's selling, maybe he knows something I don't, or maybe he's getting, maybe he's going to retire, and he's the reason why I want to buy. You know, and so there's, there's lots of reasons that people speculate on it. So the best way to get out is to get out in front of it and to disclose it the way he did. It just so happens to be at an interesting time in the economy. But I think it says a lot uh, for a man who hasn't done it in 20 years to be selling now and the overall current economic position of the country. Right, exactly. And especially given the take that he says in this article from Yahoo Finance, JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon suspects Fed may not be done raising rates amid stickier inflation. And the quote that really stood out to me in here, he says, quote, I think there's a chance that inflation is just a little stickier than people think. And their fiscal monetary stimulus in the last several years is more than people think. Unemployment is very low. We'll see. All right. So right away, two things jumped out at me as absolute facts. Okay. No cap. No cap. Okay. Number one, JP called him up. Jerome Powell called up. Jamie Dimon was like, hey, yo, JD. JP to J JD. JP in the house, yo. Yeah. He's like, yo, holla at your boy. And he's like, all right. <laughs> um, what you need? And he's like, well, you know, I'm going to come out sounding kind of dovish. I need you to get out there and sound kind of hawkish because we got to lay that pipe. Yeah, exactly. You know? So it's good cop, bad cop. Oh, that's what they're doing. Yeah. So they've they've now decided that this is how they're going to handle it. And number two, clearly, Jamie Dimon is listening to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we've been saying this at nauseum for uh, a number of months now. That stickier inflation, this this body fat analysis that we've been using as a metaphor. You know, the, the farther the farther you go down, closer to two to three percent, the harder it is to shed the extra pounds of inflation, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and he's he's right. Now, do I think the Fed's going to increase rates? If you go by the overwhelming probabilities by the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, uh, Bloomberg's World Interest Rate Probability, and just the overall rhetoric, I don't think so. But there is so much that's unknown. Uh, the the last GDP print versus this one, you got uh, geopolitical events, you got unprecedented government stimulus that that that's unwinding, but then you got unprecedented government spending coming up mm -hmm. uh, for what at least is one or not two wars going on. So there, there's a lot that could happen that could change this all before an election year where all this stuff will be stigmatized and talked about a lot in the news. Right. And you know, a lot of this, what also got cited a lot today was that were the treasuries. Right. And in this article that he goes on to say, uh, he's particularly worried about the effects of the feds quantitative tightening. That's how that's, all that means what? is the Fed on the treasuries. Yeah, yeah. Hey Arun, uh, you happen to listen to a lot of podcasts. Is there any podcast out there that you know of that's been talking about treasuries a lot recently? As much as yeah. none that I know of. None that you know of. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You don't listen to your own show. Well, for those of you out there who do listen to Higher Standard, you know we've been talking about the treasuries. We've been talking about them a lot, and this is why you have to know that Jamie Dimon's been listening to the show. Right. So the quantitative tightening is ultimately increasing the supply of bonds, is what the article went on to say. And the rhetoric going around is with, you know, these going up, these yields going up, it's really going to start to do some of the work for the Fed, right? And that's what they're alluding to, that 
He said it could apply even more pressure on the 10-year treasury yields. Meaning what? Also, rates are going to go above 8%. Look at that. Who said that? Uh, maybe we should call it this time, this episode, We Told You So. <laughs> the I Told You So yeah, episode? Just, God help it. Got it. I'll tell you right now. If they declare a recession, just do us a favor. Don't listen to the next episode that happens afterward. It's going to be bad for everybody. <laughs> yeah. There's going to be so much shit talking in that episode. It's going to be bad. Right. And if they declare a recession back to January 1 of 2022... Uh -huh. Expect us to be drunk the entire next episode. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know how in the, not too long ago, for for months, we were always referencing the inverted yield curve, mm -hmm. right? It's still inverted. It's still it's still slightly inverted, yeah. right? It's starting to pancake a little bit, okay? It's called a flattener curve at that point. There's a model that goes along with that, yeah. Okay. So, uh, typically speaking, how does it end up looking like, because when it's, when it's inverted, meaning, you know, the, the, 10 year is actually price lower price than lower the two year than the two year the right year, yeah. so when it starts to flatten out a little bit how does it normally work for a recession does it start to come out of that inversion and then or is it a, really a snowflake and it's never really the same no it starts to come out of the inversion over time now when that happens during the period of recessionary economy it's a little bit different everywhere you go uh, in, in history anyway, but uh, typically speaking, if you have an inverted yield curve, you'll usually come out of the inverted yield curve. It usually precedes most recessionary economies. Right. And then as you get into recessionary economy, the 10-year long end of the curve will start to creep up. Okay. And then you'll have a, a steep but healthier-looking inver inverted yield curve. And what I've been referencing on several shows is that the 10-year, by way of proxy of kind of the macro yield curve, um, it'll go up, spike up, and then come back down and settle out. And go up and spike down and come back and settle out. So a couple weeks ago, it hit almost it hit it almost, and then did, did hit 5%. Mm -hmm. Then came back down. I think today it's like 4.77. Yep. But it's gone up and come back down and up and come back down. And it's gradually gone more up than it's come back down, hence coming closer to a flatter yield curve when compared to the two-year. Right. They're almost priced the same. That's what a flat yield curve is. Right. right. Uh, so what you'll see is that eventually the 10-year will continue to pre pressure up. Now, those people who are very... Uh, very knowledgeable in the bond market and subject matter experts, much more so than I am. I, I'm a hobbyist at best. Uh, would tell you that there really is no world where the, the tenure should rise too much farther than 5%. And I think that, that the data and what little I know about the market supports that. But the problem is in order to get a healthier yield curve, you would have to have the low end of the curve, the two years treasuries or three, you know, the, any of the treasuries on the, on the lower end drop. Yeah. And I don't see that happening with all the pressures we're seeing in the economy. So Yeah, because there's too much uncertainty right around the corner. So I think what you're gonna happen, what you're gonna have happen now is you'll have it probably continue to rise, maybe hit five percent, maybe even a little higher. And then over time, as we get through whatever recessionary pressures we have and you start to get normal buying activity and confidence in the long end, you'll start to see the the lower end of the curve drop down a little bit. Right. And that's gonna take some time to get there. Uh, a significant amount of time, yeah. Yeah, I mean, think about how long it's it, it's really taking people to you know drop their sentiment of what's going out there in the market, right? It's just going to take that much longer to get back out there again. You know, I mean, you think about like the the S and P five hundred on average over I think over the last like fifteen twenty years was returning somewhere around seven percent, right? Mm -hmm. You got treasuries offering you damn near five percent. You're like. I mean, is it really worth me risking my money over in the S&P if I could just get 5% right here? So I have an interesting article, uh, and I'm just going to paraphrase it. This, uh, according to the Master Investor, which is kind of a weird Instagram page, but I looked it up, and it's real. The housing market is headed back to a 1980-style recession, according to Wells Fargo. 
Any thoughts? Any thoughts? Yeah, do you you think uh, you think that's true? I mean, rates in the eighties were pretty wild. I, I I mean, I think they averaged somewhere around ten percent for the entire decade. Mm-hmm. And what is that? What is that ultimately going to do? It's just it has to drive prices down. Here's here's the the problem with with this though, because um you know obviously Zillow's data is predicting you know still a two percent increase over the next twelve months. I think Morgan Stanley even came out. And predicted an increase still what what they're ultimately saying is because 60 percent of homeowners right now have interest rates of four percent or less that there's not enough people coming out and listing their homes and there's still enough people out there that are willing to buy now out of fear of rates going that high right well here we go in a new commentary piece wells fargo economist made their take on the situation crystal clear the article is titled, Rising Borrowing Costs Stand to Tip the Housing Sector Back into a Recession. Well, that's an interesting way of putting it. Are we going to look back and say we've been in a double-dip recession then? Maybe in January to June, a little bit of time out of that, and now we're going back into a second one? Yeah, maybe. Who knows? In the article, the Wells Fargo Economist referred to the aforementioned letter sent, by, sent to Powell by the one and only Mortgage Bankers Association, National Association of Realtors, and the National Home Builders Association. Wow, look at that. Furthermore, they compare that letter to a strange incident. Back in 1980, home builders sent a piece of lumber to the Federal Reserve asking for, quote, help, end quote, in boosting housing demand via lowering interest rates. <laughs> well, kind of like the open letter. Greedy motherfuckers. <laughs> kind of like the open letter that they sent them. Say what again, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On top of that, the Wells Fargo article observed that mortgage applications for the purchase uh, for purchase have retreated in recent weeks. Not only that, but these applications as of October 20th have fallen to the lowest level since 1995 when Said was less than 10 years old. It's true. Were you really? Yeah. God damn it, I feel old. Yeah. Thus, the not-so-subtle message is that the 1980-style real estate recession is, in fact, possible. So that's the other thing that Jerome Powell did uh, in today's meeting. So you remember that open letter that we recently discussed from the mm -hmm. Mortgage Bankers Association, National Association of Home Builders, and the National Association of Realtors? Right. right. Um, one of the things that they asked Jerome Powell to come out and do at this meeting specifically is to say that they're done raising rates. And he was yeah. very specific about he's not sure. Uh, we'll continue to see you know, how this all plays out. And that's just a kick right in the ding-ding to, you know, the Mortgage Bankers Association and uh, National Association of Realtors and National Association of Home Builders. Because they, they specifically asked them to do that to help out their industry. And he's like, nope, not going to do it. Not only nope, didn't even acknowledge it. Yeah. He's like, I'm sorry, y'all sent me something? Yeah. I didn't see anybody ask him the question. Oh, I thought y'all were joking. I wish somebody would have raised their hand. But I know. <laughs> I thought like, there was a guy who stood up who sounded kind of young. I think he was from... I can't remember who, who, where he was from, but he, um, God, it wasn't CNBC. It was somebody else. It was, it was a, it was a pretty well-known, like reputable source. He sounded super young. I'm like, oh, here it is. Yeah. I'm like, oh, here it is. I just wanted someone to go, hey, uh, Mr. Powell, yeah. uh, I, I was made aware recently that the National Association of Realtors and, uh, and the Mortgage Bank Association and the National Home Builders Association had sent you a letter, and I just wanted to know that if you got and had any comments on the matter. Yeah. I was, nobody, nobody went there. It'd be like, next question. Yeah, I would have been like, I would have been great to go, uh, who is that? <laughs> who? Lawrence? Yeah. 
I thought he was joking. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Anyway, uh, everyone, I put the uh, article in the show notes. Uh, so you don't have to click on it or anything like that. I just want to be able to have it for editing and, and later on, if somebody wants to uh, click on the show notes later on, then they can be Oh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I mean, with that also, we got, because to your point on the housing market now, because homes are so unaffordable, Arun, can you go to that article, the next one over, the adjustable rate mortgages? This poor like, guy, we're all over the place tonight. Uh, he's trying to keep up, and he's because, like, shit, stop talking. Because because ho- house affordability is so low, right? What? Yeah. Well done, sir. Adjustable rate mortgage demand jumps nearly 10% as buyers struggle to afford the housing market. This from CNBC. You know the most shocking thing about this was to me? What's that? People are still buying. <laughs> that, but that's the point. That's, that's my whole point, right? It's like people are still out there buying because, out of fear of rates continuing to go up. So let's walk this down the path, though. Yeah. You remember on the show several months ago, uh, Arun was kind enough to play that clip from the 1980s in Canada. when they were talking about the real estate market. Oh, and they are yeah, talking yeah. about, I don't think rates are ever going to go back down. Yeah, yeah. And that whole thing. And it, we were looking at it because it was a throwback and it was very nostalgic and all that stuff. But what is lost on a lot of people, including myself sometimes, like it's so caught in the hyperbole. People still buy in recessionary economies. Exactly. They're still buying. They're still refinancing. Things still happen. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't come to a halt. But you feel like it should. It would make common sense to, right? Like, just wait it out. Well, I mean, it's to, to our point that we always say, like, something like a home, at the end of the day, if it's a utility of yours, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'll be honest, if it's me personally, and I was not happy about the school district that my kids were in, I would try to move to that area or if i saw something and that's what my family wanted i would probably pull the trigger and i would i would make that move right i mean not everybody balls as hard as you though bro no i, I mean we would downsize i mean i would find a way i would try to I, I would look at it as trying to find a way a lot of people there's not a there's not as much supply these days i think there's only 1.5 million homes currently listed for sale right yeah um so there's not enough inventory really out there but a, a lot of people are getting help from friends and family too you know and that could be propping up the market. You know, we're friends. What? You and I, right? We're yeah, friends. man. But your zip code is a whole nother league, my friend. I just need help, man. Yeah. What's the average sale price of a home in your neighborhood? Don't do that. I want to know. Don't do that. Tell me. I don't know. You know. I don't want to know. You know. I don't know. Have you looked at homes in your area? Nope. None. Not since 2021. That's a lie. No, I have not looked at homes in my area since 2021. You told me you looked at you looked at a home. My home? That's different. <laughs> no, bro. That's a lie. You literally told me. I don't I don't recall. <laughs> oh, how convenient. <laughs> no, so son of a bitch, Arun. What are you doing? <laughs> don't, don't pull it up. We can't pull up the zip code. Don't pull up my zip code. We can't pull up the zip code. That's the last thing we need. Everyone, everyone hitting up your grocery store. <laughs> yeah. yeah, who got a black card here? Yeah, hey Chris, yeah. I got yeah. you. The white monsters. They're yeah. right over here. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So, uh, can you go back to that article, Arun? The adjustable rate mortgages. Arun, hold on, hold on a second, Arun. Yeah, I know we're bouncing around. You okay back there? Yeah. Struggling. I know. It's all over the place. You all right? You yeah, want, I'm good. You want to take a pause? Oh, we're good. If we have some whole elevator music or something we can play right now? Oh, that'd be so good. <laughs> so the 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 adjustable rate mortgages, right, also known as ARM loans, the share of mortgage applications is now at the highest level in nearly a year. I mean, keep in mind, this affordability issue has been a problem for the greater portion of a year. Mm-hmm. But if it's now reaching the highest level in nearly a year, people are really starting to jump in like, man, I don't see this going anywhere anytime soon. It's not. People are really starting to buy into the rhetoric of higher for longer. That's good. Yeah. That, that's good. That that will help us get to where we need to go 
to have a pivot from a Fed perspective. That, that, that's in my mind, that's all good trending. Right. So, uh, what should people do right now? I know the last episode we talked about waiting till twenty twenty five for the rate to dip. Right. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Potentially. 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 But I mean, I, I believe that when the rates do dip back, or if, if people are going to wait on the sidelines till twenty twenty five. I think values are going to go up from there again. You know, whatever correction happens, that 10, 15 percent that, that we predicted. Yeah, they'll go up eventually. Yeah, yeah I see. I see it continuing to go up again from there because, look, uh, the arm loan, all this really does. Right. It provides you a lower rate for, let's just say uh, the example they give in this article is a five year hybrid loan. They give you a slightly lower rate. Let's say right now, I think rates are at six point seven percent for an arm loan. If you compared were to, to 8% for a 30-year fix. Compared to 8%. So, I mean, a no, notable difference in your monthly mortgage payment. Well, plus you're paying I.O. in some cases, too. There's interest-only options. Interest-only options. But you're, now you're dancing with the devil when you play this game. Because if you think about the housing market in the 1980s, I believe in 1980, uh, mortgage rates were somewhere around 16%. And people, if somebody got a five-year hybrid loan back then, you're only, they were only able to refi down to 10%. Right at some point in time, so still, if you're expecting it to go down now, granted, I get that was 16%. We're talking 8% now, half that. But still, if if you're banking on rates to go back down to what they were over the last like however many you know 14 years, it's not gonna happen, dude. No, I read an interesting article not too long ago that said that uh, post whatever economy comes next, that they believe the stabilized rate for the foreseeable five to seven years was gonna be no lower than like a 575. Yeah, I believe that. And I, I thought to myself, okay, number one, a five five seventy five rate somewhere in there. That's a good rate in but, any economy. But that would mean the ten year would have to be somewhere around two to three percent. Mm-hmm. Again, again, how long? And if if we're at close to five percent now, mm-hmm. you know how long it's going to take. That that doesn't adjust and it's not frequently bouncing around. It's gonna. That's a slow, gradual process. Well, I can make a compelling argument that that having that kind of economic volatility is probably more normal than the last 14 years of our lives have been. Yeah. That has been a very abnormal once in a lifetime occurrence for almost everybody. Yeah. It has never happened before. We've never had 14 years of artificial interest rate deflation. So to think that it'll ever happen again in our lifetimes would be a fallacy. So some of Oh god, I can already see this being used against me, but I'm going to go down this path. The last several years as a consumer, as a business, you've had to manage no interest rate risk, no market volatility. You could start a business and worry about growing the business. You could have your life and worry about growing your net worth. You didn't have to worry about interest rate risk. All of your cash flow was linear. If you made more, you just made more. There wasn't paying more unless you went out and bought something stupid, right? Right. Your credit card payments are relatively stable. No matter, unless you bought more on your credit card, your payments are relatively the same. Right. Nobody had to worry about interest rate risk, market volatility. And now that some volatility has returned to the market, which is a normal market, interest rate volatility is part of normal economies, okay? Normal market stresses, mm-hmm. responsiveness, elasticity. There's lots of colorful ways to describe it. Well, now people are worrying about it again. And all this bravado we've built, if you were an entrepreneur and started at 21, 22, for the last 14 years, you've been fucking crushing it. You ran a business. It's amazing. You've had the benefit of one of the most prosperous economic periods in history with no concern for volatility. 
And in my mind, that ego can be very dangerous to your business. And on top of the added interest rate risk and the added stress, that behavioral economics piece, the bravado that comes along with believing that you're that good of an entrepreneur when it was way easier than it had ever been in history. Right. That could be catastrophic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And to your, to your point, I mean, there's a lot of people that became adults during this time frame. I'm still looking to become an adult. Right. That haven't had to deal with this interest rate risk, right? Yeah. And, okay, now push the adults aside. There's a lot of companies that were started during this time frame. Yeah. Right? And a lot of companies that went public. So I think it's, it's finally time to get into this article that we have had on our show for the last, I think, three weeks. From Yahoo Finance or from Fortune, right? It's Emmett, a milestone moment. His milestone. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be sad to say goodbye to this one. Three episodes later, <laughs> man. M&A activity to explode in 2024 as roughly 1,200 companies are expected to run out of money. So because I had three episodes to think about this episode or this particular article, I, I, I have actually thought it's really, really premature to have this out in the media cycle. Oh, okay. You know, it. Yeah, I do believe that M&A is going to come back, and it's going to be a big, big deal. Mm -hmm. We have so much more to go through before you start seeing more of that. Yeah, because a lot of people that are looking to maybe, you know, acquire any company, let's just forget about the mergers, right? Mm -hmm. If you truly believe a company's on on the down, why yeah. would you buy now? Yeah, I'm, wait. I'm going to continue to wait until you're, just like if you were look to buy into a stock, right? <laughs> I'm not going to buy now. I'm going to wait till that stock goes even lower. You want to hear something funny? Okay. Is it really funny or is it fucked up? No, it's, it's my usual chippy, witty humor that everybody finds universally funny. Okay. That's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Probably a little bit fucked up. Yeah, maniacal. <laughs> All right. You just said, and correct the quote here because I don't want to mess it up, that if you're a larger company like or private equity or you have investor money to put out. J.P. Morgan Chase. <laughs> All the monies. All, all of them. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much owns everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're going to wait because this is on the downward trend. Yeah. And you're going to jump back in when you know you're at the bottom so you can buy or close to the bottom so you're going to get the best possible deal. Yeah. Right? That's the advice that they are widely understood to be common advice amongst companies. Correct? Yep. Correct. Yet dipshits like Dave Ramsey are out there saying, now's the right time to buy. Got to buy now. Right. Okay? The same logic applies to companies. Companies' values over time, particularly publicly traded companies, tend to rise consistently over time. As a matter of fact, they give guidance, they have earnings, they have earnings calls on a quarterly basis, they pro they provide their SEC financials, and they're always expected to do better and better and better and continue to grow their market cap, referring back to earlier in the show, their market capitalization. That's how you get trillion-dollar, you know, big-cap companies, mm -hmm. right? That's how you get these companies that size. They've grown from small caps to mid-caps to these massive market caps, right? and they've grown, Okay. But yet somehow we're giving people the advice in the in the consumer. Right. We're giving the consumer advice. Got to buy. Now's the time to buy. Time to buy now. Home prices always go up. Yeah. Yet every sophisticated person in the business world does not do that with their investment dollars. And the consumers get offended when you go, don't listen to real estate agents. That's bullshit advice. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a, that's a really, really good point. And to anybody out there that's telling you, like, if you go to buy a home, it's okay. You, you'll have your equity in the home and you can sell the home. Look, that's not liquid, right? No. Especially during a time like this. You don't want to be dancing with the devil during a time like this where your house could then 
ultimately stay on the market for 30 days. That's the second 45 Dancing days. with the Devil reference. Did you watch the original Batman recently? No, no. You ever dance the devil in the pale moonlight? I know. Maybe that's going to be my new saying. Yours is down the rabbit hole. Mine's dance with the devil. Mine's a sexual reference. Is yours a sexual reference too? Just I to mean, be clear. Yeah, sure. If you want it to is be. Is that what you call it in your household? If, you, if that's what you want it to be. You dance with the devil? <laughs> is that what you want it to be? <laughs> <laughs> Always sexual undertones with you. It wasn't an undertone. That was very much an overtone. I think. Dancing with the devil is not viewed as a sexual having sexual undertone. It's very religious. Is it? I, I don't know which one's more offensive these days. <laughs> these days. I'm very confused. I, I know. Arun? Pop culture? Yeah. What about it? Okay. Is, is good to see you're in a good mood today. <laughs> is, All right. Is, is, dancing, is dancing with the devil have a sexual undertone? No. Does he even have sex anymore? <laughs> what? Oh, wow. Don't bring his wife into this. I didn't. So in this uh, quote from this article, uh, they interviewed somebody, a portfolio manager over at Discovery Capital Management. He said, one reason companies go public outside of the prestige factor is that it helps them raise capital. I know you've routinely said on the show, it's, mm -hmm. it's a long, painful process to take your company public. I don't think most people who are small, mid-cap size should really go that route unless they need a liquidity event um if they own the majority of themselves or if they need the capital there's reasons why companies do it but i think it is certainly romanticized yes and he said many cash trap businesses haven't been able to list their shares since ipos have largely been on hold since early 2022 yep so far this year 300 private companies have gone bankrupt yep okay According to our models, there's 1,200 private companies right now that by the end of 2024 will run out of cash. Yep. So by the end of if, – if, if that's known out there to analysts, to investors, right? I mean, look, we I said J.P. Morgan Chase, who I should have been citing is Berkshire Hathaway. Your boy Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger over there sitting on a whole lot of cash. I think, I think maybe the most amount of cash that they've ever really sat on. Why do you think that is? Bro, you know how many people, when we commented about that, about them moving to cash, like, they do this all the time, man. Yeah. You just you just don't understand how Warren and Charlie do their thing. And I'm like, and you do? <laughs> yeah. Why do you think Why do you think he's sitting on all that cash? They're like, he's just going to cash because that's what he does every, I'm like, or you're an ignorant <laughs> asshole who knows jack shit about Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. Yeah. So, I mean, they're looking to buy, too, when the time is right. Yeah. Same guys are like, they love Bitcoin. No, they don't. Yeah, maybe that'd be something to really like uh, look out for is when you start to see some private equity companies or companies like Berkshire Hathaway, right, coming out and you start seeing them picking up, maybe like, oh, wait. No, no, here's the problem is is that would be a little bit late in the cycle. Okay. Just keep in mind, this, the m activity has due diligence, there's research, there's time that goes into it. So how there's long is it like start to, start to finish on average, would you say? It depends if it's troubled or not, but I mean, I would certainly think at least two quarters, six months. What do you mean uh, by troubled? So if you need someone to come in and let's let's clarify, a merger, two companies come together, they merge. Merge there can be a merger of equals, there can be a take under where the smaller company effectively buys the bigger company, but it looks like a merger, right? There's also just a straight acquisition. I'm buying you, you're now me, right? Yeah. And my our name takes over. Yeah, JP Morgan Chase taking over First Republic Bank. Damn, why you gotta say that one? It's too soon. Yeah. I mean it is what it is. Is it right? freshy? It's fresh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Anyway, that, that that's an acquisition, right? right. So, uh, they waited till they were effectively sold by the FDIC. Looks like. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, who knows how the inner workings all worked out? But they were effectively sold in the eleventh hour. Maybe it was on their own volition, but they were sold in a fire sale because they had something pushing up against them on the back end 
and their financial position and the regulatory pressures they had. Um, yeah, the regulatory pressure, I'm pretty sure, had a lot to do with it. So, yeah, if, if you're them, right, you're going to wait to navigate that. But they didn't. It's rare that someone like J.P. Morgan would announce that as quickly as they did. And they clearly did that as a favor to the regulators and to the bigger oversight. That's why we kind of joke about Jamie Dimon going like, all right, J.P., I'll help you out again. You know, yeah. you need to buy somebody at a discount. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. I'm going to go ahead and do it for you. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what it is, right? It's, right? But generally speaking, if somebody says, hey, Saeed, I want you to buy my business, you go, okay, well, give me your financials. Let me do some due diligence. Let me do some research. That takes time. And, and usually these deals are shopped vis-a-vis -vis an investment bank and an investment banker. So investment maker says, hey, we're, think of it as like realtors for businesses, right? They're going to put together all these analytics, all this data, and they're going to try to market you to other bankers and find a partner with you to, quote, merge or be acquired by or to buy somebody else. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, so it really takes it really takes a long time to go in there and do your due diligence, especially during a time like this. You might drag that process out a little bit longer to make sure to see, well, let's just see if it goes down a little bit further. Yeah, think about it this way. If I'm buying a home yeah. and you're in foreclosure and I know you're desperate, Right? Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go, yeah, you know, I really want to buy your property. I just, I need a little more time to think about it. Yeah, and you know there's not a lot of people out there that's sitting on a lot of cash. Or what about this? What if I saw that your, your house fell out of escrow once already? And now I want all the inspections. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not waiving any contingencies. The, we we glorify investment bankers. And for those of you who, who don't know, I always grew up, like, romanticizing, I'll use the word again, the idea of investment bankers. And I was so in love with the concept when I was in college and, and even in law school, I thought it was like, oh, M&A activity, it's so cool, it's sexy, it sounds amazing, right? Mm -hmm. And then I spent some time in New York and, and around, around the space, and I can tell you unequivocally, it was just like the West Coast mortgage banking kind of group, right? Where people had these massive call centers and they were calling, and it was wild times, drug-fueled, because there was just everybody's living on the edge, trying to put in as many hours as they can, because the more hours you work, the more you got. And it wasn't as sexy. It was kind of dirty the more I got into it. Mm. So if you take away the stigma of all the things you think that it may or may not be, and you look at it at its, at its most simplistic, it's no different, really, than the kind of baser concepts of a real estate agent working with an individual. It's just an investment banker working with a company, mm -hmm. and they're selling your company. Yeah. Or helping you buy another company. Right. It's not that much more complicated. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm boiling it down very simple, but you know. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. Should we get into this review? Are we through all the articles that we do? We do touch with it? Uh, we didn't we get into private payrolls because we think that's a load of crap. Yeah, uh, well, here, besides, I'll, jobs, I'll, I'll summarize. Jobs report is coming out Friday anyways. Yeah, jobs report comes out Friday. Today is November 1st, the day after Halloween. Happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah. Uh, ADP puts out uh, some early jobs numbers pretty much every quarter, and they're always completely fucking off base. So yeah. fuck them. But this one did come in lower than expectations, which I thought was actually notable. Yeah, I don't believe anything ADP says. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly final answer all right final answer let's see let's get into this review from chili willy billy by the way so chili willy billy okay yeah uh is apparently a female yep you're it, a rock star the name was very confusing when i started reading it but i got it yeah we love you chili willy and billy yeah exactly so informative and entertaining chili willy billy says five stars clearly honest yet again did you wonder if you were the informative one or the entertaining one I'm definitely neither. I'm left out. You're, you're entertaining and Odin's informative, and I'm just an asshole. We're not going to stop your self-deprecation. Yeah, yeah I know. Because I know, if I don't do it, then you're going to do it. So I might as well do it myself. Eight Mile. I've watched the movie. Okay. So I don't think I ever saw the full Eight Mile movie, to be honest with you. I mean, shame what? on you. Shame on you. Okay, that, that got your first comment of the show, Arun? Arun is, here. Arun, is a, Arun is a huge movie buff, dude. Movie buff? 
buff. Yeah. Yeah, I am too, but I didn't really think there was a lot of cinematic value in 8 Mile. Okay. So you don't watch anything that has a cin- doesn't have cinematic value? No, no I said that I, I wouldn't. I, uh, I, I, I wouldn't watch Belly, for example. Remember that movie? No. Never saw that either. Yeah. What was that? What was that saying that Iman said one time? Oh, it didn't reach the fourth wall? Yeah. You don't watch movies that don't reach the fourth wall? Uh, I'm not really sure I understand the reference. Yeah, I wouldn't expect it. Back to Chili Willy Billy. So I've learned so much while listening to THS. Well, I'm to slap the shit out of you on a live show. <laughs> and I get to enjoy some giggles along the way. Giggles are complimentary. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're welcome. These guys don't take themselves too seriously. Clearly not. Yeah, no, absolutely yeah. not. Why would I? I've had a hair transplant. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> they trickle in some self-deprecating humor, personal stories, and bromantically loving insults at one another. But behind all that, they have so much knowledge to offer. As a 20-something who strives to set herself up for financial success and independence, I am so grateful to have found this podcast. I've been getting a better grasp of concepts around banking, real estate, and the financial side of politics since I started listening. These topics were ones I've tried to get myself informed on in the past, but are often presented in a way that is too boring to stick. This show keeps me entertained enough to stay focused and engaged. Hey, look, see, that, that is the goal. That is exactly what we're trying to do. So thank you, Chili Willy Billy. We wish you a Millie. Um, yeah, I'm out here. Bars. <laughs> Bars. <laughs> Got to get find a place to put that in every episode. <laughs> your, your Riz is on, King. <laughs> My Riz is always on. King. Riz stays on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's exactly the, the whole sentiment of the show. And I just found out today because I was doing the whole SEO thing uh, on YouTube and trying to figure out what the hell I'm looking at, and I still haven't got there. One of the things that were categorized on YouTube is news and politics. News and politics. Which was interesting because we try to stay away so much away from politics. So we've got to find a way to navigate this show into the YouTube algorithm into more of a financial capacity because Chili Willy Billy is absolutely the poster child for what we hope to accomplish. So, right. again, thank you for that. And it's about financial literacy but being entertaining and not taking ourselves too seriously and – some people will try to take advantage of that on social media and like take shots across the bow because they don't understand uh, the resume of the time, the experience that went behind these things. But um, I'm, I'm glad it's helpful. That's exactly the goal. And that's exactly why we thought the show would be valuable is that some of these shows are just so goddamn boring. And I, I'll i use uh, my friend over at Moody's, for for example. Your boy. Yeah. Look. <laughs> I, you got to be careful. I like, I like their podcast. <laughs> and Mark Zandi is a very charismatic dude. When you talk to him, he was a nice guy. I really enjoyed the conversation. He comes off as a very nice guy. And sometimes their show can just be so mundane. I'm like, please, somebody make a dick joke. <laughs> just give me something. Yeah, like <laughs> talk about a belly button. Yeah, you, know? egg, you don't get eggplant emojis over there. Like I would love for somebody to say on the show, hey, you know, um, Saeed, I was um, on the beach the other day reading about Jamie Dimon's comments and thinking about, you know, the kind of the macro economy. And I looked down, I real I didn't even know I have been a knuckle deep in my belly button digging around for a little bit. And there's a lot in there. <laughs> a knuckle deep. Like even that would be more entertaining. Right. Give me something. I know. So we appreciate you, Chili Willy Billy. Um, when this when these reviews come in, we immediately share them with one another. Yeah. And it really makes our day. I mean, even though Odun doesn't chime in till end of the day, but it makes yeah, his day bro, too. Your lack of responsiveness in the in the chat. I, I I didn't want to call you. I didn't want to call you out in the chat. I figured I'd wait for the show. I was like, he he went back and responded to everything quick. He wanted to get all his responses in. I was yeah. like, this guy. I wasn't that late in the day. Yeah, you weren't. I guess. 
Stop. What was that? I don't know. What is- a call out? No, <laughs> what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to say? So you were hoping I'd jump on top of that and I would be the bad guy. And I didn't take the bait. I'm already the bad guy. It is what it is. Yeah, no, I know. It's true. It's sad. All right. Odin, you got anything? No. Just want to say again, thank you to all the listeners, the reviews, comments. Um, yeah, ask questions, guys. Oh, yeah. Send us, send us some D- uh, questions in the DM. We might get to them on the show. And if we start getting enough of those, maybe we have a segment in the show where we answer one question, the best question we get. What do you think? Uh, yeah, whatever. I mean, I was thinking more like we would provide merch uh, to the best question and the best reviews. But, yeah, that's that too, I guess. Yeah, I know. That way, if we get the, the question we use in the show, we send them merch as our form of consideration. For the contractual Thank reason. you. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah, yeah no, you're welcome. There we go. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> just, 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 just call that there. Odin's yeah. trying to get us to wrap it up. All yeah. right. Good night, everybody. Bye. Mm.